As we open God's Word today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. I want to invite you to go ahead and take your copy of God's Word, open to Luke chapter 9. We'll start reading in verse 37 in just a moment as we continue this series entitled Preach and Heal. You know, we looked at a lot of great miracles that Jesus has done in Luke. That's what this sermon series has been about, the healing miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospel of Luke. There's been a lot of them. I've got a list of them. I think I showed you this slide uh, earlier in the series, uh, just all the, different, uh, all the different healing miracles that Luke performed. And uh, as you can see, I mean, Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus did a lot of miracles. I mean, he did some amazing things that are absolutely unexplainable. And obviously we know that he did more than these. These are, these are just the ones that were notable and that were, were recorded by the gospel writers. I mean, the gospel writers themselves even say that Jesus, Jesus did all kinds of other miracles, just many people that he healed. Uh, there are uh, three demon-possessed people that Jesus interacted with. We're going to look at the third one. Actually, there were a lot more than that, but three that are recorded in the Gospel of Luke that were healed. And we're going to look at the third one tonight, uh, th uh, this morning in Luke chapter 9. And I want to start by just, just asking you a simple, basic question. Uh, do, you, do, you really, do you really believe that Jesus has this type of power over death and demon possession and sickness and blindness and leprosy and deformities and all the things that the gospel writers claim and say that he has power over? I mean, I mean, do you really believe it? I personally believe that at any time, at any moment, Jesus could heal, he could raise the dead, he could do anything that he wants. If you were in life group today, and if you're doing the text-based curriculum, uh, your, uh, your curriculum and your discussion today was geared around the power that Jesus has to perform miracles. And so the question that I, that I have for you today is, do you, do you really believe in his power? Do you, have, do you have faith in him? And so what I want to emphasize today is trusting Jesus, having faith in Jesus, because that's, that's the lesson that we're going to see that Jesus gives to his apostles as a result of this healing. Certainly this passage displays the power of Jesus, but there's a lesson that the disciples learned from Jesus about the importance of faith. Every single time that Jesus heals or that he saves or that he delivers people from the power of Satan, he, he almost always says something about faith. Faith is the spiritual quality that all of us should be seeking to grow inside of us. You should have a goal in your spiritual life to trust Jesus more. To trust Him more in the circumstances and in the situations of your life. Trust Him more with your finances. Trust Him more with your family. Uh, trust Him more in your marriage and with your kids. Trust Him more with any medical issues that you might be facing. Our goal as Christians is to grow in faith. And can I tell you, if that's not happening, then there's something wrong. There's, there, there's something that's not quite right in your Christian life if your trust and your faith in Jesus is not growing. Because you, just as you can't be saved without faith, you can't grow without faith. Your relationship with Jesus can't be strengthened without faith. And so let's look at this passage and, um, and let's see this lesson of faith that he gives to the 12 apostles. I invite you to stand with me as I read this uh, passage uh, in Luke chapter 9, a fairly short passage. And the words, the words of Jesus are not very long either. 
Um, but you're going to notice some things that are going to stand out when he calls this generation faithless and twisted. Uh, Jesus doesn't usually cast aspersions at people, um, but uh, this is, this is some, pretty, some pretty strong language that he gives to the apostles. After they had had a mountaintop experience, uh, then they have a spiritual failure, and he gives them the spiritual diagnosis, this problem inside of them that had to do with their faith. So let's, let's look at Luke chapter 9. It says, On the next day, this was after the, uh, the transfiguration, on the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Look what he said, verse 40. He said, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I, to gonna, how long am I to be with you? And bear with you. Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. Father, today, Lord, we believe. God, help us. Help our unbelief. Lord, we trust you. God, help us to trust you more. God, I pray that today that that would be the exact thing that you would build in, among your people today. That you would build in their hearts a faith and a trust in you. We know, God, that's a work that you perform in us. And we surrender ourselves to it, God. We invoke the name of Jesus that you might send your spirit among us to do something in us and do something in around, around us that helps us to trust you more. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated at this time. Uh, you know, these disciples, these apostles that we call them and that Scripture uh, calls them. Uh, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm kind of encouraged when I read that uh, they had some spiritual failures or they had some hang-ups or they argued with each other or they didn't always do everything right or they didn't always understand everything. I I'm kind of encouraged by that because the truth is I find those same qualities among myself at times. Uh, whenever I look at these apostles and I look at their life and I see sometimes they lack the faith that they needed, which is what we're going to see uh, in this passage, I'm encouraged when I see that because I see that in myself sometimes as well. I think, I think I could rightly say that there are some areas in my life that I completely trust the Lord. Uh, that there's some areas in my life that I could say, you know what, I trust God with that area of my life or that thing in my life or that problem in my, in my life and, and my faith in Him is strong. Uh, but if I was honest, uh, like probably hopefully you would be as well, you could probably say there's some things in your life that you're a little nervous about too, that you're really unsure if God's going to come through, if He's going to do what you expect Him to do. Maybe your trust and your faith in Him in some area is not as strong as it is in other areas. 
Well, we can, uh, we, can, we can be both encouraged and rebuked by our passage today as we see that the apostles, they lacked a little bit, a little bit of faith, and, um, um, but, and, but you know, we can also identify with the fact of that in our own lives. So let's look at this spiritual need that these apostles were faced with. So we see this demon-possessed boy. Now, let me say something real quick. Um, I've looked at this passage in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so some of the details kind of converge together in my mind. I'll try to point those out uh, whenever, whenever, they, whenever they come up. Um, but uh, just, just want to let you know that in advance. I'm going to quote some stuff from this story that might not be in Luke, but it's in Matthew uh, and it's in Mark. And I'll try to point those out. Uh, so here's this spiritual need. Uh, you have this boy uh, that, is, that is possessed by a demon. In Matthew, it says that the disciples were actually arguing with some religious leaders over this boy and who, who knows what else. But the whole situation was kind of messed up. And the greatest of, of the spiritual need that existed had to do with this boy who had seizures. He would cry out and scream. Uh, he would convulse. He would foam at the mouth. And the scripture says that the demon would shatter him. Uh, this gives me the image of broken bones. Uh, Matthew and Mark also use some other words to describe a, a pretty dire situation. In fact, I, I, believe, it's, uh, I believe it's Matthew uh, that uses the word epileptic to describe the condition uh, of, this, of this young boy. Now, epilepsy, from a medical standpoint, uh, this, is a, this is a real medical condition. Uh, it could be that you or somebody that you know and love uh, has struggled with this. But do you know, even in modern science, there's a little bit of a mystery that surrounds uh, this, this medical issue. Uh, one thing I read this past week said that 40% of cases of epilepsy are from unknown origin. I thought that that was, uh, that was, that was pretty interesting. However, in this case, in this case, not, not saying in every case, in this case, there was something demonic that was happening in this young boy. Uh, whether it be that, that, that Satan was taking this awful medical condition and he was exploiting it, um, or whether there was just something demonic about all of these things and the whole reason uh, behind it uh, was, was, was demonic. Uh, the truth is, Satan was somehow involved in this particular situation. Now, I said in my introduction, uh, there, this, is the this is the third time that we have recorded in Luke a direct confrontation with demons by Jesus. There were many, many others, uh, but this is the third one that's specifically recorded. I I'm not going to talk a lot about, uh, really hardly at all, about demon possession in general this morning. If you're interested in that, I made some extended comments on that in my sermon uh, on March the 5th. If you want to you want to hear more about that you can go look it up on the website I don't remember the I don't remember the title um, but uh, just look for the sermon on March 5th our job uh, um, our job is to overcome our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups all right I've been using that phrase all throughout this series I didn't I didn't come up with that phrase I kind of got it from someplace else but all of us have these things we have hurts we have habits we have hang-ups, and part of our spiritual life is, is to deal with those things. And I hope that in this series that you've been praying about some of those things. But also, we have a calling as Christians to help other people with their hurts, 
other people with their habits and with their hang-ups. I don't know about you, but I need a measure of spiritual power in order to do that. I mean, there's some things that people deal with. I don't know about you, but I just feel so inequipped to deal with things. And if I would have been these apostles, I think I would have been a little intimidated by someone um, who had these, th- this, this measure of demon activity in their life. I, I probably maybe would have found myself in the same boat. But we're called to help other people, to help them grow, to help them develop faith, to teach them, instruct them, to help guide them and disciple them through their hurts and habits and hang-ups. And if we're going to do this, we need a measure of spiritual power. We need assistance uh, by God. If not, we're going to experience some spiritual failure just as they did. And that's what happened with these apostles. They failed to accomplish the task that Jesus had given to them. If we were to look back at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, we would see where Jesus had previously sent them out with power and authority to heal sick people and to cast out demons. He had given them the power and authority to deal with this situation, but they were not, they were not able to do so. Uh, the Bible says, it says clearly that they could not. They were unable to do that. There was spiritual work to be done, and the disciples were incapable of handling the situation. Now again, um, I, 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 I look at this situation, and I think I could relate to it. Um, I, I might would, would have uh, maybe some of the same spiritual failures that they did. And they did fail a lot. They failed to understand things. They failed to get along with each other. There was a lot of this in their life. And there is an unmistakable link between faith and I, or a lack of faith and our spiritual failures. And so when we look at why they failed, as this story is recorded in Matthew, and again, we're not going to flip back there, in Matthew, the disciples actually ask him, hey, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Almost to imply that they had cast out other demons. That could be why this man had gone to his disciples and asked them to perform this exorcism. But this, this really implies that they had done it before, but they couldn't do it in this situation. Jesus had given them the authority to do it. They couldn't, and so they came to him privately, and they were like, what, what was our failure here? Why were we not able to help this boy? And Jesus tells them plainly, he said, because of your little faith. I, I believe if you look at your spiritual failures, you, you, you think about the areas of life where you're not strong in the Lord. You, you think about the places where maybe, maybe sin has kind of taken over, or maybe you're not being able to follow God's commands in the way that he's told you to. I guarantee you, that you don't, just, you don't just trace it back to, well, I have sin in my life. You can trace it back to a lack of faith. You don't, you, that almost every spiritual failure it can almost always be traced back to the fact that my faith in this situation is not like it needs to be. There is an unmistakable connection between spiritual power and faith. 
Jesus obviously had the power to cast out this demon. He had the power to do anything that he, that he wanted to do. He was capable of doing everything. But when we're talking about human beings, even Christian human beings like you and me, we're going to find ourselves in situations where more faith and more trust is required and it could be that maybe we don't, we, we, we don't measure up to that. But there's an unmistakable connection between spiritual power and faith. I would say that the most desired spiritual quality that we should pursue is faith and trust in God. Because if we don't trust God, if we don't have faith in God, then we, we can't accomplish anything of spiritual means. The writer of Hebrews says it plainly. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You're not capable of pleasing God unless you trust Him and unless there is a measure of faith. And so as a result of this, as a result of their little faith, as Jesus calls it, He gives this spiritual diagnosis of their condition, of the condition of Israel, that I think that we could also say is the condition of our entire world apart from Christ, and which you could probably also say is a diagnosis at times of your spiritual condition in some areas or at some point in time in your life. And he says, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to bear with you? Now, this seems pretty derogatory, and I, I guess in a, in a certain measure it is. To be faithless is the worst spiritual condition imaginable. To be faithless. And some of you might say, well, no, there's, maybe there's certain sinful conditions that could, that could render you in, 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 a, in a worse position. I, 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 don't, I don't know that there is a worse sinful condition than to be faithless and to have no trust in God and, and to, don't, to not believe in Him. Even if it describes the sum total of your life or whether it just describes a certain category of your life, to be faithless is, is, a, is a big deal. Just as a car will not run without gas, the Christian life does not function apart from faith. It just doesn't work. None of it works unless you trust God, unless you believe Him. I didn't, I didn't say believe in Him. We all say we believe in Him. But, but believing Him, obeying Him, loving Him, serving Him, trusting Him. And if we don't have that, then it, leads to, it just leads to something twisted happening in our heart. You know, by the way, this is the time of year. It's the time of year to go fishing. Man, I, some of my fishermen friends tell me they're really, they're really jerking them out of the water right now. So I don't know if you ever, if any of you fishermen out there, if y'all use those, y'all know what I'm talking about when I say like a, a casting reel, like there's a certain, we used to call them open-faced reel. You know, you got to put your thumb down on that reel when you reach, when you reach back to throw it. You got to have your thumb on that, on that line. And when you throw it, you got to hold your thumb on it, feather it just right so the line doesn't, so that the, 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 the line doesn't come out faster than the bait that you're, that you're throwing pulls it. 
And if you're not careful, you just sling that thing out there and you just let your thumb, it creates this big thing we call a bird nest. And so the light, come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know what a bird nest is? It just kind of, it just kind of all locks up and it just kind of messes, messes everything up. And sometimes it gets so bad you got to get your knife out and you got to cut it. I think whenever we're faithless, that, that twistedness, that, that crookedness, that brokenness, that corruptedness, it, it kind of happens in our heart. You look at any place where you are faithless and you will find something about your life that is crooked, something about your life that is twisted, something about your life that is broken. Uh, the, the, two, the two just go hand to hand. If you don't trust God, if you don't believe Him and live for Him in, in, either in the sum total of your life or either in one category of your life, you're going to find some twistedness and you're going to find some brokenness. And Jesus says this about the entire generation. I was, okay, in my mind, I see Jesus over here doing something and he kind of he, he looks over his shoulder and he sees this situation, this father coming up to him saying, hey, help my son. And he sees this father who is desperate. He sees this boy uh, who is, uh, who is uh, in bondage to demons. He sees his apostles who have this massive spiritual failure that couldn't handle the situation even though he had given them authority. He saw these religious leaders that were arguing about them. He looked at the situation and I can almost see him with a huff just just kind of looking at that and, and thinking to himself, man, this is just what happens whenever my people don't love me and trust me and believe in me. Just bad things happen. And not just, not just with the apostles, not just with the whole generation of the Israelites at the time, but a spiritual diagnosis of everyone who, who, who doesn't have faith. I mean, this is, the, this is the biggest spiritual problem that we have. We have lostness. Because we're not trusting and in, in faith with God. And some of you might say, now, that sounds like name-calling. Some of you might say, no, I, I can't believe that Jesus, this just seems kind of harsh. Now, but I want you to imagine with me for a minute that you are the perfect son of God, that you created the world, that you and the Father and the Spirit, y'all were one and man, the, uh, the, the world was spoke into existence, and it was tranquil, it was beautiful. There was nothing crooked, nothing broken, nothing twisted. Everything was in absolute harmony. And then all of a sudden, sin entered the world, and then here you are 5,000 years later or something like that, and you're walking around on the earth that you had created beautiful and perfect, and it's just all messed up. Wouldn't that create some grief inside of you? I don't believe this, is, this was much as Jesus being critical and derogatory as much as it was just a cry of grief and sadness as Jesus saw the brokenness. When he saw the twistedness and the lack of faith in his disciples, in Israel, in the people at the time, and when he sees it in us, I think he has the same exasperated feeling, except maybe it's not, it's not directed at you personally, it's directed at your condition. He hates your sinful condition. And he hates it so much and he loves you so much that he came and died on a cross. He bore the sins of the world so that he might remove all of that twistedness, all of that faithlessness, and all of that brokenness. And think about it this way. 
Before Jesus died on a cross and bore the sins of the world, he lived on the earth for 33 years and bore with the sins of the world. And this cry of grief, this cry of aspiration, is Jesus really communicating that more than anything else, he wants us to trust him and he wants us to have faith in him. And so it leads us to ask the question, how do we get it? How do we get it? I mean, if faith is something that God wants from us, and, and we're gonna, it's impossible to please Him without faith, and, and, and it creates a twistedness in our life, even if it's just in certain categories, whenever we don't have it, then how do we get faith? I think the simplest way that I could say to you is you just need to pray for it. Just pray for it. Pray for the Lord to give you faith. That's what this man in this story did. As recorded in Mark, when Mark tells this story in Mark 9, verse 24, this man with this son who is tormented by this, by this demon, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, how many of you can relate to that? How many of you can relate to a guy who's like, man, I believe it so strongly, but man, sometimes there's just some unbelief that's tangled up in my heart, and I hate it and I want it gone. You see, the disciples, basically, they asked the same thing of Jesus uh, just about six or eight chapters later in Luke chapter 17, verse 5. They had heard Jesus talk about faith. Jesus would heal people and raise people from the dead and all the things that Jesus did. And he, would, he's, he was constantly talking about faith, constantly uh, beating the drum of the importance of faith and having faith and, and your faith has made you well. And that led his apostles to say, Lord, Increase our faith. They asked Jesus for it. You see, what they didn't do, they didn't say, okay, Jesus, I see what you're doing there, and I'm going to give you more of my faith. I'm going to give you more of my human faith. Well, that's, that's not what they said. They said, Jesus, do something in us, do something around us that will increase and generate and strengthen and bring about more faith in our heart and more faith in our life. Help us to trust you more. I think that's a good prayer. I think asking God for, your, for, for more faith, asking God to increase your faith, asking God to strengthen your trust in Him, I think that's a great prayer. And some would say, well, now wait a minute, don't we just naturally have faith? Well, in one sense, we do. Uh, well, you, you, you set an alarm clock this morning, didn't you? How many of you set an alarm clock this morning? You set an alarm, and you fell asleep, and you slept like a baby knowing that that alarm was going to go off. You trusted that alarm clock to wake you up at a certain time. That's faith. You just fell asleep. If you're thirsty, uh, you just naturally know, man, I'm dehydrated. I have all the signs. I know that if I just walk over there and drink a little bit of water, um, that, man, my, my thirst is, is going to be gone and all those, all those symptoms of dehydration, they're just going to go away. You came and you just, you just sat down on this pew this morning and you just trusted. You didn't even think about it. You didn't think about it. Just blind trust. You just sat down on it because you sit in the same spot every day uh, and you just knew that it was going to hold you up. I mean, faith is really simple, isn't it? It is so simple. We do it all the time. We do it every day. We have a human faith in each other and in this world and in all types of things. 
all the time. Listen, there's something about that simple faith that becomes complicated and difficult whenever we start to make it a spiritual faith and we start to point it towards God. It's almost like there's this, there's this barrier that we hit. It's so easy for us in this world with worldly things to exhibit a simple faith. But as soon as we start trying to turn it to God, we run into our human sinful nature and we become, listen, spiritually incapable of being the people and doing the things and exhibiting the faith that God wants us to have. And this, this, is, this is the hard part of it because Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith, the, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I don't know about you, but I need God to help me with that type of faith. A spiritual faith. A, 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 faith, a faith that could cast out demons. A, a faith that could do greater works than he does. A, a, a faith that could that could that could fix the brokenness in my heart. A, a faith that could help me to, to to turn away from my sinful nature and my hurts, habits, and hangups. A faith that could deliver me from the power of Satan. Y'all, I don't have that inside of myself. You cannot call that forth from my heart. I need help. I need divine assistance with these things. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says, we look to Jesus, who is the founder of our faith. And he is the perfecter of our faith. Now listen, sometimes the Bible talks about the faith. Meaning Christianity and all of the events and beliefs and the doctrines associated with it. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about our faith, the actions of trusting God. The Bible says Jesus is the founder of that. And not just the founder, that he's the perfecter of that. That we have to constantly be looking to him for it. Faith, faith in its simplest form is a work of the Spirit, but it is also our responsibility it's our responsibility. We can never blame God and say, well, God, you didn't give me the faith that I needed. We can never, we can never blame him for it. We can, never, we can never do that. Jesus said, I love this, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, he says, listen, if you, if you have faith in me, for, forget moving and casting out demons. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there. I don't know about you, but I don't have that power to have that much faith to be able to move a mountain or cast a demon out. I've got to ask God for that. He's got to do something in me for that. I should have put this next statement on the screen. Maybe this will be helpful to you. There's something about praying for faith that aligns our will with God's will, our human energy with His divine energy, our work with his work, our responsibility and his sovereignty. 
There's something about praying and asking God for something that he wants to give that is both an exercise of our free will as human beings as well as a divine activity that is wrought wrought in the heart by God. There's a mystery to it. But I know that if it's going to happen in your heart, if it's going to happen in your life, if it's going to happen in us, God has to do something inside of us. That's how the gospel works. And I love this next part. I just call it the faith builder. I want, you, I want you to hang with me for a minute as, 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 we, as we look at the flow of this passage. Okay. Jesus had given the, the apostles authority to cast out demons. They had a spiritual failure to do so. They asked him why, and he said it was because of lack of faith. And, and, and then he says to them, I think this is important. I think this is the lesson. He says, let these words sink into your ears. Don't just hear the vibrations. Don't just, don't just hear, the, hear the words. He says, let these words sink into your ears. Pay attention. And then he goes on to basically give a simple gospel sentence. He says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. The one with all power over demons that just delivered a boy from oppression is about to himself be delivered into the hands of men to be killed and crucified and bear the sins of the world. There is something about hearing and paying attention to what God says, hearing and paying attention to the gospel that builds faith in the hearts of people. Every single time the, every single time the gospel is preached, every single time the message of Jesus is presented, there is a potential for faith in an unbeliever. And if the gospel is not spoken into the ears and heard and comprehended by an unbeliever, there is no potential for saving faith. Jesus is the one that saves. Here's here's what Romans says. Romans chapter 10, verse 19. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And then again in Galatians, look at this. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, doing something good, something inside of you, performing an action, trying real hard, following the rules, seeking to muster up something spiritual inside of you. No, you did not receive the Spirit in that way. How did it happen? By hearing, hearing what? Hearing the gospel, hearing the word of Christ, by hearing and faith. There's something about hearing God speak that begins to naturally move you towards Him. There's something about the gospel, I've described it this way. Hearing the gospel is like, is, is like having a physical ailment and you're being, you've been pitched into an ambulance and the ambulance is moving you towards the hospital and towards healing. I believe that every time the gospel is preached, there is the potential for healing. There is the potential for God to do something amazing. But you know what we do? We wake up in the ambulance and we jump out the back door and say, no, I don't want this. We make a human decision and we say, no, this is not what I want. We, 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 pull, the, we pull the ejection. 
God begins to do something inside of us. We hear his words. He begins to speak to us. He begins to generate something spiritual inside of us. He begins to move us towards maturity in Christ. Or he begins to move us towards salvation. And we're like, mm, this makes me a little nervous. I don't know if I want that. And so we pull the eject button and we run away from him. And if there's anything that we contribute to the process, it's human rebellion. If there's any power that you have that you want to run from, it is exercising your human free will to rebel against God whenever he begins to do something in your heart and in your life. And maybe he's, maybe he's, begun, maybe he's begun to do that. Maybe you're this person, you're like, man, I've, I've really been under conviction lately. I'm just not so sure I'm a believer. I don't know if I know Jesus. And as you start to move closer to Christ, he starts to speak to you. And, and you're at a point now, you're, you're like, well, I'm just, I'm, just not so, I'm just not so sure about this. But you're still reading the Word, and you're still coming to church, and you're still hanging around with your Christian friends, but you're a little nervous. And, and, and maybe you're on the cusp of saying, oh, I can't do it anymore. You know all we have to do? All we have to do is just surrender. That's it. When God begins to do a work in our heart, and He begins to tell us to do things, when, he, when we, we begin to walk in obedience, all we have to do is surrender. And if you think about it, that's a measure, that in itself is a measure of faith. We surrender to Him. We seek Him. We call upon Him. And when we do that, he does the spiritual work inside of us. This has happened to you. I know this has happened to you. If you're saved, this has happened to you. Something happened in your life. You heard the gospel. Uh, uh, maybe, a, maybe you had a car wreck or maybe a, a tragic death. or so, Something happened in your life and you didn't know Jesus. And all of a sudden you started to think about him. And you started to think about him and, and, and the Holy Spirit drew you to him. You heard, you heard the gospel. I don't know, what, it, I don't know what, it, what might have happened in your life, but you heard the gospel, and you started to surrender to it. And, and as you started to surrender to it, God started doing a spiritual work. And then, and then you called upon Jesus, and, and, and you got saved. That, that's, that's, that's how you get saved. This, hopefully this has happened all throughout your life. That you, you, found, you found yourself in a spiritual stupor, just not really even thinking about the Lord, and you're like, what in the world am I doing? I've just gotten way off, a track, off track, and I've just drifted away from the Lord. And you're just like, you know what? Maybe I'll start reading the Word. You felt that conviction to go to church and read the Word and to pray. And, and as you did, God started to do something in your heart. And, and you thought to yourself, this, this is what I need. And so you started surrendering more to Him and surrendering more to, to doing what He says and surrendering more to His will. And as you surrendered more, He began to build faith and He began to build trust and your relationship with Him began to come together. Maybe God has told you to do something and you're like, I don't know if I want to do that. I want to pull the eject button and just kind of get out of this. No, no, no. But as you begin to say, okay, God, I'm going to surrender to what you tell me to do. I'm going to go on that mission trip. I'm going to witness to my friend. I'm going to give up a certain sin. As, as you surrendered, as you sought him, as you called upon his name, he started generating something spiritual in your life. And that's what we need to pray for. Is something spiritual happening in you? And if not, why not? Will you pray for it? Will you ask the Lord for it? Will you, will you ask God in faith, will you say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
Will you, will, you, will you say, God, increase my faith? Let's stand together. Let's stand together and let's ask him to do just that. Let's stand and let's just pray. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't have an awareness of what all of your spiritual situations are like, but maybe, maybe you're in a dire situation and you just need the Lord to help you with trust. Perhaps you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You have never truly surrendered to him. You've heard, you've heard, and maybe there's just, maybe there's just a, a glimmer of conviction, a glimmer of interest inside of you. Maybe you're feeling just a little bit of a weight of guilt. Maybe you're just feeling a little bit excited. I, I believe that could be God talking to you. I believe that could be God communicating to him. Will you just lean into that and just to surrender yourself to that and say, God, do a work in me. Do it, Lord. I want to surrender to it. If you do that, I can promise you, He will begin to build a spiritual life inside of you, and you'll get to watch Him do it, and you'll be able to give Him the credit and the glory whenever it happens. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. You talk to the Lord. If you want to come to the altar right now, you can come to the altar right now. Because maybe there's just something you just want to lay down before Him. You spend time talking to the Lord. Pray to Him. Ask Him to save you. Surrender to Him. That's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray a prayer of surrender to God right now. Whatever it is that He might have on your mind. Whatever area you lack faith. It could be the sum total of your life. Maybe the sum total of your life. You could say, there's no area of my life where I have faith. Or you could say, no, there's certain areas of my life. And I, it's just twisted. And I need to trust God. Pray to Him. Talk to Him. Seek Him. Surrender to Him. Cry out to Him. And watch Him untangle that burden.